This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. It's a day of action across the province as unions take on the Ford government over its plan to cancel the final tranche of the minimum wage hike. Their plans for that were very clear in the election campaign. As we know, the minimum wage went up to $14 and was scheduled to go up another dollar uh, on January the 1st. And the Ford government was very, very clear that they were cancelling that last increase. What is not so clear is which of the other measures in Bill 148 they intend to roll back. And these other measures include mandating that part-time workers get paid the same as full-timers for the same work. Uh, There are some measures for both paid and unpaid leave days and a requirement that part-timers be paid for at least three hours of work when they're called in. Uh, So we want to hear from you. What do you think of this? Other times when we have discussed the minimum wage at $15, and most people support that, though it can be very hard on business owners. We're going to have the business perspective as well. And, And what some of them argue is that they're not opposed to a $15 minimum wage hike, but bringing it all in from $11.80 in a very short time span is putting a huge amount of pressure on them. So we want to hear from you about what your take on this is. The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And we're going to start with Pam Frake, and she is the Day of Action spokesperson. Hi, Pam. Hello. Thanks for having me. So how's it going? It's been a wonderful day so far in every corner of the province. Absolutely magnificent. Uh, I'm just curious. Uh, you know, to me, I wouldn't think that this is negotiable at all if, if, if I hear the Ford government correctly, and I think I do. Oh, well, it's interesting because actually uh, the vast majority of people, as you know, support the $15 minimum wage, including small business owners, actually. And in fact, a substantial portion of those small business owners believe the minimum wage should be even higher than $15, partly because it's an uh, it's it's an unfair competition for those businesses that are paying decent wages and then for them to have to compete against uh, the business models that are really quite unsustainable. But what was interesting about the election is that really after the leadership race, there was very little discussion about what the new government intended to do with the minimum wage. And I think the biggest promise that the people of Ontario heard is that Doug Ford was going to be a premier for the people and he was going to be somebody who stands up to the corporate elites, not somebody who caves into their pressure. Well, yeah, but he was very clear 
from the get-go that he was going to cancel that last dollar of the wage hike, and his solution was uh, on the tax side. And then there were other groups that came out and said, well, actually, people would be better off by getting the wage hike, never mind his tax adjustment. But, I mean, again, he couldn't have been clearer on that. Well, actually, a lot of people that we talked to, people who support our campaign, were frankly shocked to hear that Premier Ford had had made this commitment, be, precisely because he really didn't talk about that. He did indeed talk about tax cuts, and uh, there was quite a lot of debate about the relative merits of that strategy. But the the vast majority of people who voted for Doug Ford, in fact, 42% support a $15 minimum wage and believed that he was the man who was going to honour that commitment. So I think it's going to be a shock for the people who voted for Mr. Ford, that he's not prepared to stand up for the little guy, that he seems to be just listening only to the big business lobbyists, and frankly, not even to the small businesses. Uh, Over almost 90% of small businesses, according to the CFIB, already pay above the minimum wage. And so this is really a question of whether or not the Premier is going to stand up for, for the people or for the big business lobby. Well, since you're mentioning the CFIB, we are going to bring in Julie Kwaczynski, who is the Director of Public Affairs for the Ontario Division. Hi, Julie. Hi, Libby. How are you? Fine. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. So uh, what's your take? Um, We have uh, Pam here who's saying that small businesses support the minimum wage hike. And also, what about all the other measures that are in Bill 48 that we frankly don't exactly know what's going to happen with? Well, a couple of points. I represent an organization that has 42,000 members who are small and medium-sized. The lion's share of our members have, and that's 87%, have under 20 employees. Um, I don't think it could be any clearer when the Premier made the promise of keeping the minimum wage at $14, that he could have been any clearer than if he went on the rooftop right now at Queen's Park and shouted it at the top of his lungs. I, I agree people, with you on that. If For people, I mean, I guess not everybody pays that close attention, but, but yeah, there's no question that he was clear on that. And in reference to the comment made by your other panelists, um, she does make a valid point. Um, the lion's share of our members, we've done surveys, pay the minimum wage or higher. But the issue there is twofold. Number one, if you're an employee and you see your counterparts getting raises of 21% in only three months, you're going to ask for a raise too. And that creates what the economists call wage compression. And secondly, what I think people have neglected to see, and I wrote an editorial on this, uh, I'll put in a shameless plug uh, in the Toronto Sun today, that points out the fact that in addition to this minimum wage, over in the corner where the shiny bobble wasn't, the minimum wage, were all these different changes that have a tsunami impact on small businesses when taken collectively. And they have repercussions in terms of cost to small businesses. They have repercussions in terms of red tape. And I mean, for one example, I can just give you a very, very simple example. 
there are these on-call provisions that will require you, as of January 1st, if unchecked, to pay on-call workers for three hours minimum, at a minimum, if they're not called in. So if you're really? a sector like IT, oh, absolutely. If you're a sector like IT... Those guys and- are on call all the time. <laughs> okay, IT is a great example because they don't make minimum wage. So that's an interesting thing. There's an employee that doesn't make the minimum wage that's impacted here. One business told us their on-call costs will balloon by 150000 every year, the equivalent of two full-time jobs. You're not hearing about that. So these are things that have kind of been overlooked in this battle where the employer has been pitted against the employee to the benefit of the unions. Unfortunately, there are a lot of unfair things in this bill, and some of them deal with unionization. There's something called, I don't know if you're aware, the 20% rule. So let's say you're in any sector of the economy in Ontario. If only 20% of your workers decide to unionize, the union could get the personal contact information of all the workers through the Ontario Labor Relations Board, so then they can go after those workers. So, take a scenario, 10 employees, 20% of 10 is two, only two workers, then the union gets the rest, all the personal contact information goes after those employees in the attempt to unionize. And I don't know if the public is aware, I don't know in what civilization 20% is considered democratic. Okay, Julie, I'm going to let Pam respond quickly because we have to take another break. Sure. Well, that's uh, quite a lot of uh, uh, interesting comments made. Maybe I'll just start with the question of who supports uh, $15 minimum wage. And I think Julie has just made the point that it's very clearly not about the minimum wage. Uh, and when we have 90% of their own members already pay above the rate but of it, the minimum it, wage. It, it is about uh, cascade, a cascading thing. I can, I can tell you that in this company, we do not have any minimum wage employees. But when the hike came in, a lot of people got big bumps. And so we would not be a minimum wage if, uh, uh, company, if you know what I mean. And the time well, frame. Sorry. I mean, you're I, looking at three months. Yeah, just Julie, Julie, Pam is responding. Sure. Thanks. Thanks, Julie. No uh, problem, yes. Pam. That's great. Uh, yeah, so just to restate a situation here is that if you look at the impact of minimum wage increases across North America, and frankly, over the last seven decades, it is true. There is an, there is a, one of the effects of raising the minimum wage is, is actually reducing inequality. And that's actually an economic stabilizer for countries. In fact, when there's gross dispa- discrepancies between the highest income earners and the lowest, that's actually a, a recipe for instability within those societies. What about the extra red tape? Pam. Well, actually, there's really not that much red tape. It's very, in fact, many of the provisions are merely about providing some basic job protection for workers. So, for example, right now, if a mother has to pick her child up unexpectedly from school and has to leave her shift without permission, she could be fired for that. And, in fact, it happens regularly. That's reality. This bill provides job-protected emergency leave for all workers. It was a situation before where that protection didn't even exist. Or if your child care fell through. The question of paid sick days 
two. What what is what we were campaigning for was actually seven paid sick days, and that's uh, and that's just and that itself was a modest proposal. What were but what the government delivered was two paid sick days, and that's really about making sure that when uh, on public Ontario Health says stay home when you have the flu, that people can afford to actually stay home when they have the flu or care for a sick family member. Okay, we have to take a quick break. We have to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more on this on the other side of that break. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. We are talking about the Day of Action, a move to try to restore the last tranche of the minimum wage hike. Uh, We have panelists on both sides of this effort. Uh, Julie Kwiczynski from the CFIB. Uh, Pam said it does not increase red tape. So how does it increase red tape in your view? I mean, it's not in my view. It's spelled out in black and white. Um, Section 15 of the Employment Standards Act on records clearly states that if the scheduling and on-call provisions take effect on January 1st, you basically have to track every movement of your employees in and out of the office. If you don't have an HR department, as as most small businesses don't have the luxury of having, that will cause a problem. And secondly, it's prescribed such that that if you don't do these things, these administrative things, this record-keeping, you could be facing administrative fines. And secondly, I know that Pam had mentioned that there were previously no job-protected leaves. A little bit of a history lesson here. Previously, before Bill 158, there was something called 10 unpaid days that included numerous different leaves, some of which still exists actually in Bill 148. It actually excluded small workplaces of, wor- of, right. of workplaces with fewer than 50, 50 employees employed. where most women and newcomers are employed, so are overrepresented in those jobs. So this was a big, dramatic improvement for those workers. In fact, it's estimated that almost 2 million workers will have job protection in the event of, the, the, of their having a personal emergency, and that's a, an incredible step forward for those workers. Uh, let me ask you this, Pam. So if you take our word for it that canceling this last dollar is kind of written in stone, if there was anything else in that bill, if you had one thing you had to pick that you want to keep there, what would it be? I don't think it's written in stone. You know, we've been told at every single step of the way that uh, we're not going to raise the minimum wage. We were told that five years ago when we first launched the campaign and everyone said no until they did it. And we really think that this premier wants to do the right thing, wants to listen to workers, wants to be the premier for the people. And we think that when the premier looks at the actual evidence, which shows that jobs are increasing in Ontario in the accommodation and food services you sector. Think, of the, uh, Do you think he didn't look at it when he was running? I am not clear that he did because actually since the bill has come into effect, Ontario has created jobs contrary to all the catastrophism peddled by the CFIB and the Chamber of Commerce. In fact, jobs are increasing, wages are increasing. That's actually a sign of a strengthening economy. It's been you good don't for know Ontario. That's because of the minimum wage, Pam, it's too early to tell. Well that was certainly hasn't prevented the CFIB from study. making its catastrophic protections. Well, I was actually talking when you interrupted okay, me. Okay, well, well, let's go ahead, Julie. Before, so. so, yeah, the evidence is really Julie, clear. Julie, go ahead. Okay, well, what I was saying is, 
Um, the other factor that I think we need to consider is the fact that in order to isolate whether the job numbers are impacted by the minimum wage, you need to do a study that specifically asks whether or not what you did was isolated to the minimum wage. There are no numbers that show that right now. And secondly, a very quick point, we have done some number crunching ourselves. To go from 14 to 15 will cost an employer roughly an extra $2,283. And that's a lot of that's a lot of money, $2,283 a year, because what people aren't considering is on top of the minimum wage, you have other payroll costs, whether it's CPP, EI, Workplace Safety and Insurance Board, premiums, employer health tax. People are not including that in the equation. There's more to the dollar than meets the eye. Higher wages mean higher other payroll costs. Pam, go ahead. So you're 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 speaking from both sides uh, of the of the coin here. You're you're telling us on the one hand that 90% of your members already pay more than the minimum wage, so it's clearly not the minimum wage that is at issue here. And what we're saying is that there are plenty of employees. In fact, there's a new employer organization that is speaking out for decent work practices. The Better Way Alliance is cutting against this narrative that the only way to survive in the business world is to uh, is to have low wages and un predictable scheduling. So there is an alternative to this, and more and more employers are speaking out. I think small business owners, even on social media, are saying they're sick of having this opposition to decent wages and decent work pinned on them. When it's really the multinational multinational corporations, the Tim Hortons of the world... I'm sorry. I'm I'm intervening here because uh, this is not useful when you have two people yelling at each other. We're just about out of time, so Julie, I'm going to ask you very briefly if there is any single provision in Bill 48 that you want, 148, that you want cancelled, what is it? Oh boy, that's really, really tough. There's a lot of things, but I would say if I'm picking one, um, scrap the new scheduling and on-call provisions. It's the easiest thing to do because they haven't taken effect. They would start Jan 1st. Okay, uh, and what's your reaction to that? Well, and my response is that responsible employers are already doing the right thing by their employees. What we're talking about is protecting those employees who are regularly left hanging on the line day in and day out without being called in, without a modicum of protection, or those employees who travel two and three hours to get to work and then they arrive and they're told to go home without any compensation. This is what is problematic. This is what the laws are designed to, to be doing, and that's why it's very important that those scheduling provisions arrive on time and as scheduled and as is currently the law. Okay, that is all the time we have for Fight Back for today. We'll have to see how this one shakes out. Thank you so much, Julie Kwaczynski from the Canadian Federation of Independent Business and Pam Frake, who is the provincial organizer for the Day of Action Fight for 15 and Fairness. Thank you to you both. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.